Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I went and I opened the door and I said, you know, we need to start getting ready because it was a meet and greet, um, which we loved. And she was crying. He was angry. And he said, she's not going, we're staying here. And I said, well, then y'all are gonna reimburse me the cost of this ticket. I'm not gonna eat this ticket. This is the plaintiff, Jorinda Taylor. She says the defendant is her son-in-law and he owes her a whole heap of money. That's right, she helped him out with his doctor bills, truck repairs, and a concert ticket. You name it, she paid for it. And family or no family, she's owed $1,060.34, and if she has to sue him to get it, then so be it. This is the defendant, David Reed Brasher. He says he and the plaintiff's daughter are about to have a baby, and this is no way for a future grandmother to behave. Serving her son-in-law in court like this, he refuses to give his mother-in-law a penny because she destroyed his belongings when she kicked him out of the house. That's right, she threw out his Xbox, hunting tools, boxing gloves, and photos of his wife. Oh, her, no way. He's accused of taking advantage. The defendant has filed a countersuit for $1,130 for all he's now out. All parties, please raise your right hands. What you are about to witness is real. The litigants are not actors. They are involved in legitimate disputes, and they have agreed to have those disputes settled here in our forum, the People's Court. People's Court is now in session. The Honorable Judge Marilyn Leanne is now presiding. Litigants have been sworn, Your Honor. Thank you, Douglas. You're welcome, ma'am. Ms. Taylor, Mr. Brasher is your son-in-law, correct? Yes, Your Honor. All right, now he and your daughter, who is not here today, she's staying out of it, right, Mr. Brasher? Yes, sir. Um, I'm not a sir, but that's okay. Um, uh, yes, ma'am, sorry. Okay, dokie. So uh, he and your daughter met online, they ended up uh, dating for a while, then they ended up getting married pretty quickly, and then uh, they lived with his parents, she wasn't happy, so you end up taking them in, correct? Yes, Your Honor. And were they paying rent or no? No, Your Honor. We did not uh, charge either one of them for rent, food, nothing. They lived here rent-free. So at some point, he needed money to visit doctors, and he had no health insurance, so you loaned him money in order to visit doctors and get medicine, correct? Correct. Okay. Then you also, according to you, loaned him money for what else? They were getting ready to go to Gulf Shores for their honeymoon. His truck 
he said did not have the oil changed. It was making some noises. So I told him that I would loan him the money to have the oil changed and have the truck uh, checked out. So I paid the bill for that as well. Um, All right. Also, so you paid, uh, that was 142.48. And what else did you front him? Um, my daughter and my son and I had purchased tickets to see Sarah Evans in Huntsville, Alabama. And they knew that they were going to be paying me back. So your daughter was supposed to pay you back for her ticket well, as well? We had, we had talked about it, but then as it turned out, she didn't have the money for it. And I said, well, we'll figure it out. So on the way to Huntsville, my daughter and the defendant and my son got into an argument. So it was a very quiet trip after that died down. We got to the hotel, checked in, went to the room. We had one room. It had two beds and a sleeper sofa. So we were all going to stay in one room. So when we got to the room, my daughter and the defendant went into the bedroom area and closed the door. And I went and I opened the door and I said, you know, we need to start getting ready because it was a meet and greet, um, which we loved. And she was crying. He was angry. And he said, she's not going. We're staying here. And I said, well, then y'all are going to reimburse me the cost of this ticket. I'm not going to eat this ticket. And then he informed me that um, they didn't even want to sleep in the same room as my son. And I said, well, I don't know what you think you're going to do. And he, he, that's when he told me, he said, well, we'll sleep in the car. We're not sleeping in this room. I said, I'm not going to have my daughter. What was the argument about in the car? The defendant was wanting to join the military and he had some issues that my son was discussing with him that it, it would keep him from being able to, to get into the military. They, I mean, it was just, that's all it was about. But they, she didn't, or he said that she was not going to go to the concert. She was too upset. They were going to sleep in the car. I said, I'm not going to have my daughter sleeping in the car. I said, I will go down to the front desk, and if they have an available room for you, I will pay for the room, but you're going to pay me back. They both agreed. I went downstairs. Um, I booked the room. They moved to the room. My son and I went to, to the concert, but they understood and they both agreed that they would pay for the ticket and they would pay for the hotel room. Mr. Brasher, why didn't you guys go to the, I mean, I don't care what the argument was about. Why would you miss out on going to the concert? I, I really didn't care about that concert. I didn't, I just went because my wife, my wife was going. All right. So you didn't have a ticket for the concert? Okay. But no. so why didn't your wife go to the concert? I don't know who Did she is. Did you stop her from going? It was really uh, both our choices, because she said that she'd feel right going, because I was there and she didn't feel safe being around her brother when he's acting like that. Why? What happened that was so bad? What did her? Did the brother threaten her in the car? I don't. I don't understand. But when she was in the hotel room, her brother got in her face and started yelling at her. And I tried to break it up. And when you say break it up, were they physical? Be, and I just felt like she was being threatened. All right. The concert was when? 2019, what month? Your Honor, it was December 5th of 2019. All right. So now let's fast forward to January. And when we're in January, there's a fight at your home between the son and this defendant, correct? 
Oh, no, Your Honor. It, it happened in December as well. The defendant had gotten a job with security engineers, and his client was Regents Bank. The morning of December the 12th, he started texting me and my daughter and informed us that he was in trouble, that he was looking at being um, having charges pressed against him for arson and attempted murder. Long story short, what happened, a portable heater had caught on fire. And he and a couple of the other security guards put the fire out. Well, according to the defendant, he liked the attention. So he went to the bathroom and started a fire in the bathroom and immediately put it out. And there was also a charge against So he could be him. a hero? Yes. Okay, is that accurate? Did you commit arson in order to be able to curry favor at your work? I did that once, but that is not Once is um, more. Anything. Once is one time too many, pal. So were, were you texting her and telling her that? No, Your Honor. He was he texted was, me in the beginning saying. and then when he came home, he was sitting here and he was explaining to me my daughter was at work. Not only did he start the fire in the bathroom, but he there was also an issue with him taking money out of um, banks that belong to customers. So he was telling us that he was going to be charged with arson and attempted murder. Um, he was yelling at me. He was yelling but at what? my agent. What did you do? Wait a second. That doesn't make any sense. Why is he yelling at you if he's all contrite and did all this awful stuff at work and he's texting you about it? Why was he, would oh, he no, walk and yelling Honor, at you? Was, no, he was not contrite. He was mad. He was angry. So now let's talk about uh, what happens with the police showing up? My son was here at the house. When the defendant came home, he immediately started getting into my face because I was trying to find out, you know, what happened. All I'm getting are text messages. He gets into my face screaming at me. I have an 83-year-old disabled uh, mother in a wheelchair. He's in her face screaming at her to shut up. My son hears it. He comes downstairs. The defendant makes a move towards me. Now, he's an armed, an armed security guard. We don't know if he has his pistol on him or not. So my son steps in between me and the defendant, and the defendant leaves the house, goes out in the front, and he says, I'm calling the police. And I said, good, you better, because if you don't, I will. So he contacted the so police. So he calls and the police, the police come, and he tells the police that your son hit him? Yes, he did. All and right, did your son end up getting arrested? No, Your Honor. Can I ask you a question? Why are you yelling at her? Are you yelling at her? Because she says you were. And what? why are you mad at her when you only have yourself to blame? When I raise my voice, it sometimes it sounds like I'm yelling, but I don't mean it. So what did the brother do? Then he gets in my face and starts yelling at me. And I asked him to get out of my face because I felt threatened. And then I tried going outside. He slams the door on me almost gets my hand in it. Then I get behind a couch trying to like stay away from him. Did he hit you or didn't he? He put his hands on me and like pushed me hard. Then I ran outside and I said, I'm going to call the cops. And that's when I did. Okay, so this is the last day. Did you stay there after that? No, I, after that, she asked me to leave. I handed them my keys and then I moved back to Birmingham, uh, back to Auburn. And where's your, at that point, were you already married to her daughter? I was. I, I was, yeah, I was getting married, yes. 
So what what happens? How does the daughter find out what happened? I texted her and told her. Okay. That, uh, now your daughter ends up. Does she too. come home that day, or does she end up just going with him? No, Your Honor. She stayed here. He packed up some items in his truck and he left. She stayed. And when did she end up going with him? Um, it was on January the 18th of 2019. All right. In January, when you went back there and you and you were you were taking your wife to come back with you, where did you guys move into? With your parents? With my parents. Okay. How old are you? I'm 23. And how old is your daughter? Um, she is 23. Or she's 22. Okay. I'm sorry. So in February, when you guys are are there to, to take items out of there, why don't you take out all your stuff then? I mean, you'd moved out in January, so why didn't you, in January, you fit what you could. Now you're in February. Why don't you just take everything that you can out of there? I tried to, and then we would try and load her stuff up, too, and we ran out of room. Okay, well, why don't you bring enough room to be able to move out? On my way back to Auburn, my truck broke down. Like, the engine went out, everything went out on my truck, I had to get it towed. And that same day, my mom's transmission went out too. So her car was in the shop too. And my dad was working. So we only had only one car available. So that was the only car we could load up all our stuff. So you didn't have a job. And did your wife have a job? When she was in Birmingham, she did. But when she quit that job to move to Auburn, now she's just a stay home mom. Okay. Did, did you already have a baby? Uh, no, we got one on the way. Okay, when you said a so, stay-at-home like, mom, decided, is she a mom before this? I mean, this? like a stay-at-home wife, I mean. Okay. So it's February, he doesn't get everything out. You, you text back and forth that he needs to pay and he needs to get his stuff out or you're throwing it out. And your daughter then ends up sending you a text saying, well, he can't possibly pay you, so I guess throw stuff out. But he didn't say that, but your daughter did. Now, what ends up happening with all of his belongings? You told them that you threw it out, but the truth of the matter is you really didn't, right? No, Your Honor, I did. So some of them you got rid of and some of them you didn't? Correct. Now, you know that you owe her money. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. According to her, and I saw a copy of this, you signed a promissory note. And it says that you owe her the money. Did you sign a promissory note promising to pay her the money? Yes, because I felt like, oh, if I didn't sign whatever this is, you know, she's gonna like start something, argument will break out, and I just wanna get my stuff and leave. 
Okay, well, the only thing it says is that you owe the money. You don't, because we've been talking for a long time during this trial. I think you would understand the phrase, I owe you $785.90. Let me ask you a question. I have read maybe 100 texts between you and your daughter. And yes, Your Honor. I was really touched when your son texted her, I love you out of the blue, like the day after, it seems like it was maybe the day after a bad fight with cops or whatever happened, that there was a big scene. And she texts back, I love you too, I'm so sorry. And they were just so good with each other. And one of the things that has struck me is the fact that your daughter keeps trying to mend things with you and keep her marriage. She keeps telling you, he's trying, mom, he's trying. Just, you can't, you know, he can't do it this fast. Please give him some time. Um, but more importantly, there have to be three or four different times where your daughter, and I want to read them to you because this is the thing that struck me the most from the text. I'm sorry, you, you tell her that you're going to die because you weren't able to buy insulin because he won't pay you the money. Let me just suggest that if you have to pay for insulin and you will die if someone doesn't pay you back, Perhaps you shouldn't loan money, okay? But you say that to her, and she says, I'm sorry you weren't able to buy your insulin. Me and his dad both agree he needs to pay you back. I don't know what else you want me to say, but let me ask you this. Is this the only thing we're ever going to discuss? It seems like this is our go-to topic. Then on another day, I already told you I don't know much about the car situation. Why do I need to know about this lawsuit being public? You sound so mean. Mom, is this the only thing we're ever going to talk about? And then on another day, um, Mom, I don't know what you want me to say. I know because he's my husband. I don't always have to be loyal to him. There have been times I've, been, I've taken your side too, but it seems like you don't want to remember those times. And you just like, I mean, you know, pages of text where at some point, it seems to me that you're doing a lot of damage to your relationship with a kid who, as cases go, because I see a lot of ungrateful kids, as cases go, she's not a bad kid. And you know she's caught between him and you, and apparently her loyalty to him, she's going to have a baby. You know? I mean, that, there's going to be a baby. You want to see the baby? You want to be grandma to the baby? Would this be your first grandchild? Yes, Your Honor, and I and I regret the conversations that she and I that she and I had by text message, and we have mended fences. Um, I have I, not... I hope so because I have to tell you because you only know your case, but I know all of them. And when I read this stuff, she's trying so hard to walk that line. That's why I'm not surprised that she's not here. She, you know, she she wants to stay out of it because she wants to stay loyal to him, but she wants to stay loyal to you. But let me suggest that a better parenting method is that you not talk to her about him, that you try to work on your own relationship with her the same way she's trying to work on herself as a person, okay? Um, it's and just that's, a that's way better idea. That's, that's good. that's what we are That's doing. good, because I'm going to presume that at some point you folks would like to be a normal family that actually gets together for holidays, where you actually get to see your grandchild. So there needs to be some finality to this. Now, you need to understand that if you're 23 and you want to bring a human into the world, you want to make a person, and you want to play house, and you want to get married, maybe at some point you need to figure out your own deal and work your own way out of a paper bag. You can't be 
you know, borrowing money and, and relying on relatives. It's time for you to stand on your own two feet. You guys have bills to pay. You have people to pay back. And everybody should be working unless she has a health problem, you know, that prevents her from it. There's just no reason for that. Uh, what we're going to do is I'm going to order him to pay you the amount that he signed on the promissory note, which is a $785.90. And on his counterclaim against you, you are suing her for all the items that you left behind since December that she apparently got rid of after March. And also for fuel and lost wages. You're suing for 240 bucks for fuel and lost wages. What's that about? I was going to drive to up to Barnhelm. Oh, was going to? Oh, okay. So you didn't. All right. We're done. We're done. So on your counterclaim against her for all those items that she either threw out or donated, I am finding in her favor because people have to keep, if you leave something, first of all, you shouldn't leave anything behind. When you move out, you should have everything. And when you have a whole other month to come back with your dad and get everything, that is what it, you should be moving. You should be moving the last of your stuff. And then what you do is you leave it even another month after that. So we're talking about December to January, January to February, February to March, three months. She doesn't have to store your stuff for three months. So you don't get to win on your counterclaim $1,130 worth of, of stuff but on her claim against you, I am finding in your favor for $785.90. Verdict for the plaintiff on the counterclaim zero. Thank you, Your Honor. Well, that was quite a case, to say the least. Let's talk to the defendant who lost his countersuit is going to have to pay the plaintiff $785. Mr. Brasher, you got quite a lecture from the judge. What do you think about that? What are you thinking right now? Really, to be honest, like I'll take the result, but I'm not really happy about that because I just lost a lot of stuff that my grandparents gave me, and now I don't have anything that what my grandmother gave me that she now she passed away. Now I don't have anything that she that she gave me, but it is what it is. Well, it's your fault for for, for leaving it there. The other thing is the judge says you really got to start to hustle, get a job. How about that? What do you think about that? I'm working on getting a job right now. All right. Well, it doesn't seem too persuasive to me anyway. Anyway, you, you lost the case, and that's it. Ms. Taylor, let me ask you a question. The judge gave you quite a lecture, too. What do you think about what she had to say to you? She's absolutely 100% correct, Your Honor. Um, the relationship between my daughter and myself, um, it did go on the decline because of everything going on with the defendant, but she and I are definitely have turned things around. Um, we speak at least every other day. I'm looking forward to the birth of my first grandchild and for her to come to Birmingham so we can go baby shopping. Well, let's hope you patch things up and uh, things improve in your, in your life, especially with your daughter and, you. uh, and her husband. Thank you very much. All right, that'll wrap it up for this case. Pretty engrossing case, to say the least. Now, let's join Judge Marilyn Millian and her husband, Judge John, for another edition of After the Verdict. This should be interesting. Well, Marilyn, a lot of emotion <laughs> in this case, family dispute. But uh, one of the things I, I noticed you uh, talked to litigants about a little bit 
is the idea that if somebody leaves stuff at your house, whether you're a homeowner or a landlord, if they don't explain to you that they intend to abandon it at that time or they don't demonstrate that they're going to abandon it, you have an obligation. You have an obligation as a homeowner or a landlord. You have some obligation. You can't just throw it out that day. Right. Right. And it kind of feels like you should be able to. Hey, they left it behind. Why do I? I'm not a storage room. Why should I have to keep it? But most jurisdictions have the requirement that you keep it for a certain amount of time, for a reasonable period. And in most jurisdictions, that reasonable period has been found to be about 30 days. That's the rough number. That's a rough number. And now, in this situation, he moved out in December, and we're talking about 90 days later. So she was well within her rights to be sick of being a storage room. Right. But I'm glad to hear that the, the plaintiff and her daughter are working on their relationship because it's really, you never expect that your texts with your child are going to end up as part of a lawsuit. No, that's no. unfortunate. And I, and I, it's unfortunate, but of course, she chose to file a lawsuit and, this, and she entered those into evidence. Um, well, they you need know, to mend those fences fast because yeah. in December, there's going to be another one on the scene. Right. right? An, a God baby. willing. And God willing, yeah. um, you know, they'll be able to mend it before then. Let's hope so. Yeah. Well, Stephen, depending on the state, you may have a case. There are a lot of states, for example, California, where if you take your car to an auto repair shop, they have to write down what it is that they're fixing before they do it or they don't get paid. There are other states that don't have laws that are that stringent. You're going to have to check your state. It's going to be easy to do. You just go online, look under auto repair laws, and you should be able to find it. That'll do it for this case. Litigants for the next case on the way into the courtroom right now. This is the plaintiff, Dustin Burchett. He says he was at his house having a party one snowy night, and he heard his car alarm go off when he ran outside. He saw the defendant's snowplow pulling away and was horrified. When he looked over at his car, his door was smashed in. The defendant refuses to take responsibility and pay him the $4,036.87 in damages he caused. So he's suing him. This is the defendant, Kenneth Sexton. He says he was the one plowing that night and he did not hit the plaintiff's car. He told the cops exactly what he told the plaintiff. A blue car hit the plaintiff's car because there was blue paint on his car and his plow is not blue. The plaintiff doesn't care to listen to common sense. He knows the judge will. That's why he's confident in defending his case here and now. He's accused of plowing into a guy. All parties, please raise your right hands. Welcome back to the People's Court. Next case on the docket, the plaintiff says it was a snowy night and his alarm kept going off. And he says the defendant got his snow plow, was plowing the street and slammed into his car. The defendant saying he didn't touch the plaintiff's car. It's the case of, I got plowed, I swear. Thank you, Douglas. You're welcome, ma'am. Okay, Mr. Burchett, you are sitting around in your apartment with a bunch of friends playing board games? Uh, yes, my house. At your house. And uh, all of a sudden you hear what that alerts your attention to the outdoors? Yeah, so we're sitting on the couch and, uh, you know, actually even before he hit the car, you can hear the snow plow banging around in the street, uh, dropping his plow on the road and whatnot. Uh, but he definitely made a crunching noise on my vehicle and my car alarm went off. And uh, that's definitely when I knew that someone hit my car. Okay, so you look outside right away? 
Yeah, actually, where we were sitting uh, in the living room overlooks in front of the house where the car is parked. Uh, and I happened to also be facing the window at the time. So, uh, I mean, I was, I was watching it immediately. Okay. And what did you see? Uh, so I saw a truck uh, just going away from my vehicle. Did you see a plow on the truck? I, couldn't, I could not see the plow while it was driving away. Okay, I got you. All right, and um, so you were with a, a number of friends, correct? Correct. Uh, I had five people over that evening. All right, so you guys all run down to the car, and what do you see when you get there? We saw uh, a lot of tire tracks in the snow, and we saw that there was actually some tire tracks that were leading up to my vehicle. We saw, of course, the damage to the vehicle, and uh, at, we noticed that the car was pushed back a good amount based off of the damage. We walked around for a couple minutes. I actually pretty immediately called the cops, probably within two or three minutes of the car alarm. All right, so I see the tire tracks of some type of vehicle clearly going, grazing the side of your car and your car being pushed. In this picture, you can tell that the car got pushed by a good four, what is it, four feet? This is the impact? Yeah, that was the impact as we recorded it immediately after it occurred. Uh, of course, you can see that the quarter panel has damage to it, and then that damage also extends to the door. All right, let me hear from your witnesses. Who do you want to call first? Uh, we can call Cody. Cody, we need to yes, swear you in. Please raise your right hand. All right, do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God. I do. Your Honor. All right, Cody, what did you see that night? Um, what I saw personally is I stood up when I heard the kind of crunch, maybe a little bit of tire squeal, and the, of course the car alarm, alarm going off is that I saw a vehicle driving away. It was a truck. We immediately went out there, took a look around the vehicle, um, noticed that there was damage on the vehicle, called the police, you know. Now, when you guys called the police, you actually said a plow truck just hit the car, right? That was actually how Correct. the call came yeah. in. And did you guys ever go talk? Did you and your, uh, your brother, he's your brother? Correct. All right. Did you guys ever go talk uh, anytime later that night? Did you actually see the defendant's company's plow truck on the property next door, which I guess they're in charge of? So we did, and I'm not quite sure 100% how that all, you know, functions with the companies that are supposed to be plowing this area. But we did see another company possibly the same company plowing the same area where the previous truck was. Okay. Did you talk to them? We did. It, it didn't really go anywhere. All right. Let me, uh, actually, I, I know you have like 420 other witnesses. What I'd like to do is talk to you, though, Mr. Sexton. You own a plow company, correct? Yes. It's actually a landscape maintenance company, and one of the services we provide is plowing. Okay. And uh, on that night, in fact... You had been in the plow on that street at 1230, correct? That is correct. Okay, and the way that the plaintiff found this out was that he spoke to an employee of yours, and that's how he got your name, saying that uh, you had been there earlier and the employee had just gotten there. Is that correct, Mr. Burkett? Yes. Okay. All right, so, and as, as luck would have it, that, in fact, was the case. You were there with a different plow at 1230. And what happened? What did you see out there? Okay, that's, that's not how he got my name. Uh, what happened was I was plowing. I was done plowing. I left the property. I did not hit his car. Because my plow truck does not have a sander on it, 
I had to send another employee who sands behind me. So he came back, he sanded the property, and then the plaintiff and a couple of other guys accused him of me hitting his car. They said he had hit his car. My employee said, no, he was just there to sand. And then later, the police department had called our office. Our office person called me, and I called the police officer back. My question to you is, did you see some car getting between you and the parked cars? Tell, explain to me what you told the police there. When we're plowing, there's cars coming and going at all hours. I, you know, I don't care if it's 10 at night, 2 in the morning. Uh, there's constantly cars coming and going. And when I pushed the last pile, and the plaintiff's car is probably 40 feet from me on the other side of the street. And I had to wait for a car to pass between me and the plaintiff's car. Okay, but did you see the car hit his car? No. Okay. No. I How didn't. do you remember? Just, it's such a weird thing to remember that there was a car going by there at that exact moment at 1230 when you were there. There was another car going. It's such a strange thing to note and remember. How is it that you remember it? If, if you had seen it hit, well, then that's noteworthy. But how is it that, as you sit here, you can remember that there was a car going um, by the plaintiff's car? When we're plowing properties, that's as part of the training is exactly what you're looking for. You're very focused on cars that have their reverse lights on. They're getting ready to back out, delivery trucks, cars coming. The only reason I really remembered that one was because I had started to back up from the pile and the car, and I had to stop because the car passed between us. And usually, you know, we have lights on top of the car flashing, and usually they're paying attention. But this car just drove through. So, all right, Mr. Burkett, what do you do for a living? Uh, I work for the government. Doing? Just give me a general idea. Math, mathematics. Math. Okay, because boy, did you get into this. Um, you, uh, you presented a packet to the court with all kinds of calculations. Um, talk to me and tell me your best arguments on why you believe that the defendant is responsible for the damage. I think the, the best thing that I have on my side is we have very clearly documented what tire tracks were on the scene. Uh, I do math currently for my for a living, but I used to work at a tire store. Uh, I did a little bit of analysis to show that I am very confident that those tires are Goodyear Duratrax or something similar that mimics the tread pattern. And uh, the problem that we have is that those are, first of all, the only tire tracks that we could find on the scene. Second of all, they are clearly very close to my vehicle. And third of all, uh, in multiple different avenues, we have evidence that suggests that the defendant thought that it was a mid-sized or small vehicle that came between his plow truck and my vehicle, Goodyear Duratrax cannot fit on any small vehicle. They are only meant for trucks, and they're actually very common for snow plow and fleet companies to use. Okay. So, yeah, the, whatever uh, vehicle passed, it's clearly swerving or, or, or something. Something's happening there because it's going right past where your car is. And then I'm showing you the damage that's here. And I see a lot, as you might imagine, I see a lot of car damage cases. And I am looking at a very uh, deep gouge down here, um, the bottom of the car door, and then another deep gouge just under the mirror spanning exactly what it kind of looks a plow would span, you know? And it's so bizarre that, that you actually 
have a memory of another car hitting through there. And then as it turns out, you're actually there at 1230. You know, these cases are really, really tough to prove because normally here's how it looks. I've got the plaintiff side will call it into the police and say, someone hit my car. And then they'll try to figure out who was in the area. And then all of a sudden, the story gets better. And it becomes, uh, the defendant's company truck hit my car. I saw him do it. Nobody claims to have seen the hit. Everybody claims, see, it sounds believable. They hear the plow. Then they hear the crunch and the, the alarm go off. Then they look. None of them are trying to say, oh, I saw the plow on a truck. They're all kind of honest. They're like, well, you know, it's going away from me, so I don't really see. But they make certain assumptions. And normally, I'd see these assumptions and say, well, you can't prove your case. But what have I got on your side? I've got you placing yourself there at 1230. I've got you noting that a car, which is a really strange thing to note, I've got the, the damage to the car just seems kind of consistent with two very sharp edges hitting it rather than crunching in from a car hitting it. Um, you're suing for all kinds of numbers you can't get. I've seen your estimates. Um, you gave me three estimates. I'm going to award you the lower of the estimates, the amount also that you've already paid to get it aligned so that you can drive it now. Uh, the rental, I'm going to award you that. And I want to explain something to you guys. This is not a criminal case. This is a civil case. In a criminal case, there needs to be proof beyond and to the exclusion of every reasonable doubt. In a civil case, it just has to be more likely than not. And I'm looking at these facts, and I find it more likely than not, based on what I have explained before. $2,789.08, verdict for the plaintiff. Thank you. I didn't even get to talk about it. Mr. Sexton, the, uh, the defendant, let me talk to you. You were totally confident you were going to prevail in this case when you came into the courtroom. Let me ask you how you react to this. What do you think of the judge's verdict? It just, uh, I was unable to present my case, and it's very disappointing. Well, I'm not surprised. I'm sorry, but that's the judge's verdict in the case. You're going to have to live with it and, and pay him $2,700. All right, let's talk to the plaintiff now. Mr. Burchett, how do you feel about the case? I'm sure you're feeling pretty good right now, aren't you? I think. Yeah, I feel, no, yeah, I, I certainly feel good. Um, I'm glad that the judge was able to review my document, and I think there was some useful information in there. And I think that that being prepared, I think, uh, really is what gave us the, the, the judgment today. So congratulations. Um, I hope you get your car going back and uh, enjoy it. And it's OK. Now, let us rejoin Judge Melian with her husband, Judge John, and uh, another session of After the Verdict. So, Marilyn, uh, it seems in this case you were convinced by the circumstantial evidence of the various witnesses about what they saw, what they heard, even though nobody actually saw the plow hit the car. Yeah, well, that and the fact that the defendant places himself in a plow on that street at the exact moment when this happened. The, par the car was parked on the street, and the plow hits it. There's no reason to wonder about, you know, plow service at his place because there was no evidence that there was plow service at his place. Right. It was still snowing when this happened. And in March, no less. But right. In Mar <laughs> mind you why you moved to Florida. That's right. <laughs> really, I think what convinced me uh, was the, the, the kind of damage that we were looking at. Right. And by the way, if you look at those pictures, there's, no, there's neither blue paint nor white paint. That's just scraped to the 
Um, primer coat or, yeah, or, right. or the bare metal. Underneath, right, like the bare right. metal. There's, there's no tra paint transfer. Um, but what convinced me is the, the, the two markings, which shows me that it's something metal that's hitting it like that as opposed to the edge of a car. Right. Uh, uh, the fact that the defendant places himself there right. at the exact time, what a coinkydink, right. at the exact time when this happens. And the fact that he's telling me how, oh, there was another car it could have been. Right, absolutely. You know, and in, in criminal cases nowadays and civil cases, we see so many things solved by video because everybody's got these doorbell cameras and surveillance cameras on their house, and it's like nothing escapes the view of these things. Right. Murders get solved, property crimes get yeah, solved, it's amazing. civil cases get solved, and uh, that would have made your job a little bit easier. Yeah, if, everybody, if anybody had a, a ring bell on their uh, front door and right. actually would have caught this on video, it would have been amazing. But, um, but no, law enforcement has been able to use that as a tool to solve cases. It may not even involve your house, but it involves a house in front of you and you're facing it. And, when, and, and law enforcement now, when they see uh, a ring or any other brand doorbell that has video, they will knock on the homeowner's homes and ask, you know, do you, do you preserve the video? Can I see it? Yeah. In any event, the circumstantial evidence was, was pretty compelling and it was enough. Yeah, and circumstantial evidence can carry the day in any case. I mean, a fingerprint is circumstantial evidence. Right, it can be. We are just plumb out of time. We'll see you next time. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.